UK, on DAB Digital Radio, on the Free Times Radio app, and on your smart speaker. This is Gloria De Piero on Times Radio. Welcome back. It's Gloria De Piero with you till one. And at this point in the programme, we like to hear people's stories about how news and politics have affected their lives. And we were inspired by William Carter this week. He believes his severe dyslexia and dyspraxia have been instrumental to his success. He graduated with the first at the University of Bristol, and now he's studying for a PhD in the United States. He's on a mission to ensure that children from similar backgrounds have the same access to education that he has had. Will said, it's all about pushing yourself to learn differently. I was reading of Mice and Men in my English class in year nine, and in describing Lenny, my teacher used the word retard, and I remember challenging that teacher, and again, I was verbally confident. I was there, I was challenging them. I was telling them, no, this word should not be used by you, particularly to describe someone with lower functioning. And what my teacher said to me, and I'll never forget this, he said to me, what? Do you identify with Lenny then? Are you a retard? And what they said afterwards was even worse. They said to me, go on then, read this after the class, write on the board. And what that meant is you could kind of talk the talk, but you couldn't walk the walk. They knew precisely what they were doing. They were kind of silencing my every motivation and making me feel unbelievably small. Well, let's talk to Darren Clark, Claude Williams, Hannah Khan and Zoe Jane Littlewood now, who all have dyslexia. Hello. Good morning. Hey. Morning. Uh, Hi, uh, Darren, I'm going to start with you, if I may, um, and your story. Uh, how old are you, first of all? Uh, 44, 44 years of age. 44, and you were only diagnosed seven years ago with dyslexia. Tell me what prompted you to get tested. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, um, all, all those years before we were undiagnosed dyslexia, and it was—it actually happened. Uh, it was a—I was working from home. Uh, there was a, a TV program uh, on uh, in the background, and it was an interview around uh, uh, dyslexia. And I didn't know at the time it was an interview with dyslexia. I thought it was just someone interviewing someone about starting up their floristry business. And they kept using the terminology dyslexia, and, and went through kind of some of the things that they deal with on a daily basis in the sense of what they struggle with and uh and it kind of just kind of resonated with me straight away and, and she, the, the, i always remember the lady saying i can't spell you know kind of the flowers and the bouquets but i can tell you by colors and i remember this way and it was a really it was kind of one of those you had to kind of listen to that pro that program and it was really kind of resonated with me and uh yeah so, so i you know once i kind of figured out how to spell dyslexia because it's an incredibly difficult uh word to spell i uh mm. i googled it and it started my journey to uh to, to find out about the diagnosis i took an online test um and then then i uh, went in and got a, a further diagnosis and found out i had a severe dyslexia and adhd and how did getting that diagnosis change your life uh, it was, I, I think it, it, it gave me a, a lot more clarity because I was enabled to kind of, I, I kind of punished myself in a way for maybe some of the promotions I didn't get, you know, my kind of lack of education, all these things that I felt that there was something kind of holding me back, even though I'm incredibly motivated in, in, in kind of positive thinking uh, in, in things. It, it was almost like a, a relief, really. Um, uh, it, it gave me a lot more kind of understanding because I, I knew that there was always something, but I just didn't know what. And you were at school in the 80s and early 90s. Um, yes. Not too far from when I was at school, actually, a little bit earlier. But I don't remember dyslexia ever being no. mentioned when I was at school. What about you? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I think at the age of kind of 36, I, I kind of only really started to understand what dyslexia, neurodiversity, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, all these things that that meant. But but dyslexia was definitely not uh, something that was spoken about um, for me, and, and definitely not in the in the school system that I was uh, I was in at the time. And you had a difficult time at school because of your dyslexia. Tell me about that. Yes. Yeah, so so a, a lot of the time, um, you know, primary school was 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 fine as far as I can remember because uh, you weren't really kind of tested. Secondary school was really difficult. Uh, even from the first day, the biggest thing was the isolation because from the first day you were given tests uh, and kind of you know mini exams to see which classrooms you would sit in. And I always remember the very first day going into the school or school hall with so many other students and your friends and each one being called out to go into different classrooms. And from day one, I was put in a, a little classroom with about four other students. Uh, and, and I ended up um, five years of my education was I, I spent most of it in this thing called the unit, which was a, a, a basically an old rundown porter cabin, which was kind of placed in the middle of the uh, school playing field. Uh, and, and a lot of the time I had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different substitutes, teachers, where it was almost kind of like a daycare, really, because they didn't really know what to what to do with me. It was the terminology they use. And I, I think it's, you know, definitely one I wouldn't use is the that's where they sent the, you know, the, the troubled kids. Um, and it was, you know, looking back and it was, it was horrible because it, that that age, all you want to do is kind of you know, blend in and be a part of, uh, you know, a, a community with your friends. And each day I was kind of isolated and just given colouring in books to kind of occupy myself. God, it makes me angry just listening to that. Uh, how did your parents react? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I've I'm, I'm always been kind of kept things to my, myself in, uh, in, in, in that sense. But I, I guess during the time with the educational side of it, I kind of um i wouldn't accept i mean every day i would go to school hoping that i would be put into a different class so when i'd come home from school uh, i always remember having massive migraines and and you know i you know kind of real bad headaches and that was because my you know later looking into it my, my brain was kind of over uh, over focusing and trying to kind of take everything in so i kept a lot a lot of the stuff to myself the stress and the anxiety um the, those elements and I, I didn't really uh kind of tell many people about the, the you know what was going on in the school i, I just accept, i just thought that was kind of the process are you angry now um i'm i mean i'm i'm angry i'd say i'm, I'm a little bit upset in, in the sense that i've had kind of my education stolen from me uh if, if i can use that correct terminology um, but uh, but I'm even now I'm a, a massive advocate of education. You know I've spoken to over eighty five thousand students. Uh, you know in different parts of the country uh, and different parts of the world around entrepreneurship, uh, neurodiversity, education. But uh, I, I tend to not dwell on the past. Um, but but I, I I really don't want to see another student have to go through what uh, what I went through because it's not just the dyslexia in the sense that we can't read or um you know we find it difficult to read and write that there's there's so many other elements to you know to dyslexia as well not just the reading and the writing and darren what tell us what you do now yeah so so um so now i'm a, a global um neurodiversity consultant so i i work with uh the educational system uh, and i also work with with uh, corporates um, across the globe, uh, raising more awareness around your diversity uh, with, with teaching, training uh, and speaking. So, very successful. 
bless you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I just I, I, lo- I love what I love what I do, and I love that that element of in- inspiring others. Uh, and and it, the, the big big thing to me is to you know I, I always remember kind of how I felt, and and even not just in the school side of it. You know, I, I managed to get a quite a successful career in, in in corporate with you know knowing about dyslexia, but I also know how difficult it can be in the workplace uh, as well. So so I guess it's just you know raising more awareness, speak, starting those conversations. Uh, and I found they, they really can hurt, really can help the individual massively. So Hannah, Claude and Zoe, you are, you're all younger than Darren and, and have had quite a different experience, thankfully. Um, Hannah, tell me what age you were when you were diagnosed. Well, um, I was diagnosed at 13 and that was around year eight I believe um so my experience would actually be quite different because my mother is a dyslexia specialist and we've got a history of dyslexia in the family however it wasn't really picked up on in school so my mother noticed how my sister was struggling for a very long time and saw the same signs in me so she started with a lot of um learning techniques when I was younger so it didn't really appear when I was um, in primary school, but secondary school kind of came out. So, Hannah, how old are you? Just remind us. I'm 21. You're 21. So, goodness me. So, that's really interesting. So, so I was thinking it's all going to be different now because I'm, I, I'm not much older than Darren. But actually, you're really young and it took your mum to sort of her knowledge and, mm. and, and expertise. It took your mum to sort of get involved and say, actually, Hannah's dyslexic. Definitely. I definitely say um, that society in general has become more open to talking about difficulties that people face like, on the neurodivergent scale. However, actually putting it into practice is a lot more difficult. And there's a lot of res- resistance in schools and workplaces because it's unknown. Unless you're a specialist, unless you're, you've, been, you've experienced it, you really don't know what you're getting yourself into. And unless there's the communication which we're doing today, no one will understand in the future. Mm. So, what do you do for a living? Before I ask the next question, actually, <laughs> I'm um, I'm currently studying at university. Um, mm-hmm. I'm doing an engineering degree, um, right. so it's been really interesting, really difficult, definitely different to what I expected. But I'm enjoying it now with the support that I can get. And Hannah, so you can go to university and say, by the way, I'm dyslexic, and, and presumably the lecturer goes you know, sort of fine, or, or in fact, what, what does the lecturer say? Do they make provision? <laughs> Do they? But it's no big deal, I'm hoping, now. Absolutely. You say so it, now, is it? Um, now we can, you, well, in my university, in most universities, you have a dyslexia disability service. So you apply for these um, roles and you, you, give, you provide proof of your, um, your dyslexia through a report or anything else that's happened through like a doctor's report, a, a specialist report, and you go through a few steps and then they basically lay out what they can do for you because they understand that the team understands that you learn in a different way to everyone else and you process a different way to the conventional methods. Um, so, for example, I would be given extra time in exams um, and potentially coursework if it's a timed coursework um this is really helpful because my processing speed isn't as fast as the general person um it will take me at least 
a few minutes to read one paragraph and to fully understand it, whereas a lot of my friends will just be finishing a task up after I've just only finished reading it. Um, so you'll get a lot, of, a lot of support in terms of um, extra time, some systems now, because technology is advanced to the point where you can have um, speech-to-text um, systems and also um, like mind-mapping note um, systems as well that really help during lectures. Mm. Okay, really interesting. Uh, Claude, hello, Claude. Um, hello. Tell me about you. How old were? How old are you? And how old were you when you were diagnosed? Hi. So I am thirty-one today. And happy I birthday. Was, oh, so not as in this very day, but as in I'm thirty-one now. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and I was about seven or so when I was diagnosed. Okay, and how how did you get diagnosed? Was it a teacher? What happened? Um, it was, to be honest, if you're quite lucky in my case. Uh, so at the time I was attending Beavers, which is like the younger version of Scouts. And mm. the lady who was running the session happened to notice that I had a few, I guess, habits and behaviours that were quite similar to her son, who she had recently found out was dyslexic. Um, and as a result of that, she recommended to my mum that I should go and get an assessment. And from there, that's when we found out that, um, that yeah, I am also dyslexic as well. And how much of a difference did that diagnosis make? Was it a relief? Were you worried? Was it a bit of everything? So I think at the time, I was definitely too young to really understand it all. But from my mum's perspective, I think she definitely gave it a lot more context. So also to give you more information, I'm a twin as well. And um, it was, yeah, my sister didn't have a lot of the same, um, I guess, symptoms. And as a result, she was going much further ahead of, ahead of me in terms of education. So it gave a bit of context to that. Um, however, I can say is that if I hadn't received a diagnosis at such a young age, then my story today would probably be very different. Claude, y you are, I, I think I'm reading this correctly. You have started six businesses. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's super achiever. Um, <laughs> so your dyslexia certainly has not hindered uh, your success at all. Maybe the opposite. Um, you know what? I'm going to say that my success in many ways is partly because of my dyslexia, but also partly despite of my dyslexia. Um, one thing I will say is that it comes with pros and cons. And I guess the lesson that I've had to learn over the years is to, is to like, place your strengths and find ways to compensate your weaknesses. Okay. Good, good, uh, good explanation. Uh, hello, Zoe. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I am well and uh, looking forward to hearing your story. H how old are you? Um, I'm 22. You're 22. And how old were you when you were diagnosed, Zoe? I was diagnosed early year seven, so around 11 or 12 years old. And how did it happen to you? How was that um, diagnosis? How was it spotted? Well, for me, it was technically spotted in year six. Um, I had so many teachers in year six, and luckily one of those teachers had a little bit more understanding as to what dyslexia was, and she sat down with me, and she was showing me different coloured papers because I was really, really struggling. And um, so she showed me these different coloured papers to help with visual aid and kind of talked me through a little bit what dyslexia was. But I, my mum was actually pushing for me to get tested at a much younger age, but my primary school for funding issues just wasn't able to accommodate that. So when I went to secondary school, 
um, they did have a teacher who was able to assist in that and then get the test done. We think of dyslexia, I do certainly, as something that makes it just hard to read. It's it's much more than that, Zoe. (laughs) Definitely. It, It is, and I think that's the general consensus for a lot of people that it's just something that affects maybe our writing or um, abilities such as that. Mm. When realistically, mm. it affects everyday life. Like, for example, one of the one of the most common ones for us dyslexic people is something as simple as left and right. I am mm. constantly forgetting my lefts and rights. And I'm like, that would really affect me in the real life world of driving, for instance. I can't really be in a car <laughs> and the instructor tells me to go left and I go right. So I do think there's more to dyslexia than just what um, is kind of talked about in the sense of the education side. Ah, really interesting, because I can't tell the difference between my left and right either. <laughs> and I don't get it, I don't drive. But maybe that's a whole different um, conversation. Darren, let, let me come back to you. When you hear about the experiences of Hannah, Claude and Zoe, who are younger than you, um, how does it make you feel? Do you think, oh, God, thank goodness things are improved, or do you think... Um, We've still got so, so so much further to go. Tell, tell me your reaction yeah, on, on hearing them. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the diagnosis is, is, is fantastic to hear. People are being diagnosed a lot earlier, definitely a lot earlier uh, than, than I was. Um, but but it's like I said, it's, it's not just about, the, you know, the diagnosis in that sense. It's, it's the whole journey. Uh, but but I, I really do think, you know, speaking to schools and organisations, there is so much more to be done. I mean, we're very, you know, we're very fortunate in the in the UK. We have, you know, an incredible wealth of knowledge with, you know, the British Tax Association. We have other organisations that can kind of help and support this uh, element. But but I think, you know, and, and, and having a, a platform like this to be able to share, you know, start the conversation around dyslexia, I think it's, it's definitely improves, especially the last five years. Um, but, but like you mentioned, there, there is still so much more to be done and, and understanding dyslexia as well. As, as you mentioned, it's not just about, you know, there's so many elements of my dyslexia that's not just down to reading and writing. It's, um, you know, it's, it's behavioural, it could be uh, mindset, it could be motivation, it could be anxiety, it could be depression. There's, there's so much more if you, if you delve into it um, to understand it a little bit more. Oh, well, that seems like a good moment to bring in Tori Sparks, who is dyslexia assessor and teacher and head of projects at Helen Arkell Dyslexia Charity. Hi, Tori. Good morning. (laughs) Tori, before I ask you how far our understanding of dyslexia has come, I just want to say to Darren uh, that we've, we've had a message in via email from a listener called Michael to say that he's right with you. So that's, that's nice that we're getting, uh, Positive, positivity and love from our listeners. Uh, so, Tori, how far has our understanding of dyslexia come since Darren's childhood? I would say, I mean, first of all, it's very uplifting to hear um, Zoe, Claude, Hannah and Darren speaking. And I would completely agree with them all. It's very much about raising awareness and having the conversation, both um, in terms of an organisation like ourselves, but also as individuals, because I, I have dyslexia and dyspraxia in my own family. So you know, what, they, what everyone has said really resonates with me this morning. But I think our understanding is still growing in terms of research is still ongoing. Um, agreeing a definition of dyslexia is actually ongoing. The, the, the conversation is still um, robustly being discussed. Um, and But I would say that uh, certainly over the last 20 years, um, 
dyslexia is now acknowledged as a specific learning difficulty or difference. Uh, it mm. is recognised as a protected characteristic um, under the Equality Act of 2010, um, which allows people to um, get the reasonable adjustments that they need, both in education and the workplace. But there is still a heck of a lot of work to be done um, because yeah. it is very misunderstood and it is actually, you know, it is a hidden disability. Um, and especially in the education system, there are other um, conditions, neurodevelopmental conditions um, that um, uh, weigh more heavily in terms of the behaviours that are seen with those and therefore they draw down more funding than, say, dyslexia does. That's interesting that you describe it in terms of a hidden disability, um, particularly after the chats that we had. Uh, Zoe, mm. do, do, you, do, you, do you feel like it's a hidden disability? Definitely. Um, pretty much going off the point, um, it is when you think about it because dyslexia, there's, it's not a physical thing. You can't see that someone is dyslexic. And it goes with a lot of conditions, like especially like mental health conditions, just because someone may not look like they're suffering, that doesn't mean to say that they are. So I would totally dis uh, agree, sorry, in mm. a sense that dyslexia is something that it isn't seen. Therefore, in a sense, it's not heard. It doesn't look mm. like anything's wrong. So don't. So certain people won't take the time to understand it more because to everyone else, we just like we just look like regular people. However, we have our own little ways of doing things. Mm. Tori, um, yeah. could you go into any workplace these days and say at the interview, uh, by the way, I'm dyslexic? That's a really good question. And actually, um, it goes back to how comfortable you feel in your own skin. Uh, it's that level of self-confidence to be able to say that. And so self-advocacy, especially in adults and in the workplace, comes down very much to the individual. And unfortunately, even though the... Um, legislation is in place to protect people and give them the reasonable adjustments they need. Oh, excuse me, there are some very stereotypical views still out there and so many people feel that it will act against them, it will be a negative if they advocate the difficulties that come with their dyslexia. I think that is changing as we recognise a more neurodiverse society and people are having the confidence and an actual, in actual fact, you know, companies are now wanting to create an environment in which people feel safe to come forward and explain, for example, that um, they can't, they find it hard to multitask, so please don't ask me to stand up and, and read aloud in a meeting and take the minutes at the same time, you know, that sort of thing. But it's still, uh, um, you know, quite a, it, it's a, it's a sort of personal dilemma for the individual in terms of how secure they feel in their particular workplace to be able to do that. Right, I'm going to ask each of you, Darren, Hannah, Clark, Claude and Zoe, um, don't worry if you haven't thought of anything immediately, but if there was one thing that you could change, I was thinking societal change actually, to, 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 to help or to, 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 to enable people with, with dyslexia to fulfil all the wonderful things actually that you have all uh, fulfilled, is there anything that, that comes to mind? And you might all say the same thing, but Darren... Yeah, I, I just think it's is 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 com is confidence really in, in believing in 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 yourself, and I know that seems kind of a bit blasé, but but it really it really is. It's it kind of that inability to kind of know yourself and, and have that confidence um, to you know to, to believe that what you're doing is is right. That's that's really helped me massively. Mm. And Claude, you've got a magic um, wand to change one thing. Would you change anything about society and its approach yeah. to dyslexia? I think the approach that I would take would be. Um, 
making it more of an easy conversation for people to have. Um, I think it's just if we all broadly had a deep understanding of our strengths and weaknesses and differences with dyslexia or all other types of neurodiversity, then I think that will mean that everybody can create an environment where we can all thrive. Hannah? Um, very similar to everyone else's, but I think mm. I would probably go on a more practical approach and change the like the conventional teaching methods to mm. from like just listening and reading to a more engaged kind of method that will help everyone, not just neurodivergent people. And so, would you have anything to add? It's always hard when you're last in the lineup, <laughs> but do you have anything to oh, add? I would sit in there like, oh, uh, no, I would totally just want to echo what everyone else, has, everyone else has said, especially changing the education side of things and also maybe trying to promote more funding towards it. I think by doing that, we can definitely make change happen. And just finally on that point, I, I will come back to you, Tori. What are the best ways to teach people with dyslexia? It's really um, a multi-sensory approach. So our brain learns, um, it, it wants to learn in the easiest way possible. So if we um, deliver information in a variety of ways, seeing, hearing, doing, it's much better than just hearing. Dyslexic people find it very arduous receiving information purely um, via their ears, verbally, and so if they can do something with it and they can see something and in, in, in interject colour and picture and pattern, that's going to be far more memorable for the brain. I have so yeah. I've I've really enjoyed um, uh, listening to you all. I've learned a lot from all of you, and I just want to say thank you. So Tori Sparks, Hannah Khan, Darren Clark, Claude Williams, Zoe Jane Littlewood, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you.